again, happy uh, Independence Day weekend to you. This is the, the weekend and the day coming up in a couple of days that we celebrate. July 4th, 1776, something monumental happened in our nation. The Second Continental Congress unanimously signed the Declaration of Independence that declared that the 13 British colonies in America would no longer live under the rule and authority of Great Britain and King George III and that the people would establish their own independent government. And it's that moment, that's what we celebrate. That's what the 4th of July is all about, celebrating that Declaration of Independence uh, by the colonials here in America, saying we're not going to rule and live under the tyranny of King George and Great Britain. We are going to establish our own nation. And we know and we're, we're, we're familiar with what happened on July 4th, 1776. I want to give you a little bit of a history update of some things that um, I know we learned in school, but we may or may not remember on a regular basis. It wouldn't be until September 3rd of 1783 that the Treaty of Paris would be signed. Now, the Treaty of Paris was the first official acknowledgement of Great Britain that the United States was an independent nation. So, the United States declared their independence with the signing of the Declaration in 1776. But it wasn't until 1783 that Britain acknowledged what the colonials in America said in 1776. So there was eight years and five months that the colonists were at war with Great Britain. And we need to remember that. That wasn't just a, oh, we signed the paper and it was done. It was years later until Britain finally said, okay, you win. <laughs> until the Treaty of Paris was signed and, and Britain acknowledged um, the independence of the Americans. So what that means is between the beginning of the revolution in the colonies and that date, September 3rd, 1783, between those dates... You had one nation that was proclaiming its freedom and you had another nation who was denying the freedom of the nation who said that they were free. The Americans were saying we were free. The British were saying, no, you're not. That lasted for eight years and five months. So during that eight years... If you were to ask the question, are the Americans free people, you would have gotten two different answers, right? Depending on who you're talking to. If you were talking to the colonialists, they would have said, yes, we are free. But if you were talking to Britain, Britain would have said, no, they're not. During that time, there was two, two different scenarios, two different pictures or views of freedom that were going on between the two nations. I want us to look this morning in John chapter 8. And this morning, a conversation um, between Jesus and the people that I think is similar in nature. You've got one party saying, we're free. And another party saying, 
No, you're not. You just think you're free. Um, so find John chapter 8 in your Bibles, and we're going to start in verse 30. And to give you a little bit of context for what we're going to read, in Jesus at this point is in Jerusalem during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles or the, or the Festival of Booths, as we've talked about before. And of, there were three major festivals that the Jews observed. And this, the Feast of Tabernacles, was one of those three. And there were lots and lots of people who would be coming in for this festival. And in chapter 7, if you read in John's Gospel, chapter 7 is full of debate. It's debate between Jesus and the Pharisees. And they're constantly going back and forth. And, and the Pharisees are, are debating with Jesus and Jesus is answering them. And when you read in chapter 7 also, there's a divided opinion among the people concerning Jesus. John says in, in chapter 7, and shows examples how there were some people who were believing Jesus. Who were, who were hearing what Jesus had to say and they were saying, yes, yes, that sounds good. I, I like that. I like what he's saying. He must really be the Messiah. And then there were other people who were saying, he's a liar. He's a lunatic. He's a crazy person. He's, he, he's even from the devil. We can't trust him. And, and the, the opinions were so divided, calling Jesus evil and deceptive. But Jesus in this passage has something really important to say about freedom. And since freedom is something that's on our minds, especially this time of year, I think it's really important for us to read and understand what Jesus says here. So in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 30, John writes and says, As he was saying these things, as he was talking to the crowds there in the temple, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Now, there were lots of different responses to Jesus by different people. And, and we talked about that a little bit. Some people loved him. Some people hated him. But the people that Jesus is talking to in these verses are the people who John says had believed in him. Or the people who were believing in him. So Jesus is not necessarily talking to his critics right now. He's talking to the people who are buying in to what he's saying. He's talking to the people who are following him. He's talking to the people who are cheering him on and saying, yes, yes, we like you, Jesus. We like what you're saying. And those are the people he's talking to. And it's really important for us to know what this means. When, Jesus, when John writes this gospel and he says, many believed in him... And Jesus was talking to the ones who had believed in him. He is not talking about a saving faith. He's not talking about a faith unto salvation for these yet. The belief that this crowd is displaying in Jesus is a belief that was moving toward saving faith. But they weren't quite there yet. They didn't hate Jesus, nor 
had they rejected Jesus. It, it was actually quite the opposite. They were listening to him. They were hearing what he had to say. And they were believing what he was saying. And they were believing that what he said was true. But this is what we'll find as we, as we read further into this gospel. And I'm telling you this up front so that you know as we're reading. They believed Jesus, but they had not yet trusted Jesus enough to yield their allegiance to Jesus. Do you get the difference? They liked who Jesus was and they believed that what he said was true. But they, this crowd that he's talking to had not trusted him to the point where they were willing to give their lives to him. And there's a couple of types of mistaken faith. And I think these are still present. These are still very much present today in the world. They're very much present in the life of the church. And these are the two types of mistaken faith. One is the knowledge of Jesus. And the second is agreement with Jesus. The knowledge of Jesus means that I hear Jesus... I've heard the story of Jesus and I know the facts about him. I can tell you the story. I've read the Bible. I've had the Bible talk to me. I know who Jesus is. I know what he came to do. And I know what the Bible says about him. Then there's agreement with Jesus. It's one thing to know, have knowledge of Jesus, but it's another thing for your mind and your heart and your will to agree with Jesus, deciding that the knowledge that you have about Jesus is actually true, right? There's a difference. You can get knowledge about something, that's one thing, but then when you go from knowledge to agreement to say, yes, I've, I know what this says about Jesus, but now I agree with it and I believe it's absolutely true. Those are two steps in the process, but folks, what Jesus is saying and is, is going to say to these people even more is that this does not save you. These two things, by themselves, don't make you a Christian. These are the first steps to coming to saving faith. Yet these can, can be present in a person also with no faith, right? These two characteristics can be present in a person who has never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. They know who Jesus is. They know what the Bible says about him. They've heard it all their lives. And they actually agree with it. If you were to ask them, do you believe Jesus was the Son of God? They would say yes. Do you believe that Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life? They would say yes. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of all mankind? They would say, yes, I agree with all of those things. All of the knowledge about Jesus, I agree with it. But that's, that's who was in this crowd Jesus is talking to in John chapter 8. The, these are the people. They have the knowledge of who he is and they're in agreement with him. But Jesus says... You're not truly my disciple unless this is true. I want you to see something that Jesus said earlier in John's gospel. John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Listen, listen to what John writes here. 
He says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Wow, so you mean there were people who were believing Jesus, but they weren't coming into saving faith in relationship with Jesus? And it says, verse 24, Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew that their faith was not saving faith. They knew all about him. And and what does verse 23 say? Many believed in his name when what? When they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus knew their heart. And he says, you're coming around and you're following me. and And you're being a part of my ministry because you see all the signs. You've come for the show. You've not come to follow me. You've not come to be my disciple. And so he says he did not entrust himself to them. Jesus knew the difference because he is the perfect discerner of the heart. I wrote this in my notes. Jesus doesn't need us to show him our hearts. We need him to show us the state of our own hearts because he knows our hearts better than we do. It's not so much that we need so desperately to communicate to Jesus, God, this is my heart. We don't need to do that because he already knows it. He knows our hearts. He knows what our motivations are. And it's not so much that I need to tell God what's in my heart. I need Jesus to show me what's in my heart. I don't need to tell him because he knows. What I need is for him to help me see what's in my heart. So that I can discern where I stand in my relationship with him. So what's the difference? Some of us may be sitting here and, 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 and you may be thinking, okay, Eric, this is, you've just basically said that you can believe in Jesus and agree with Jesus, but not be a Christian. You can believe Jesus is true and real and agree with everything he says, but not be a believer, Right? Right. And you say, well, how does that happen? Like, what's the difference? What's the difference? Like, everybody in this room, like, you're here because you have a knowledge of Jesus or you've come to get the knowledge of Jesus because you want to know Jesus because you're in agreement with who Jesus is. I'm pretty sure nobody in this room would stand up and deny that Jesus is the Son of God. Or that Jesus is the Savior. Or say that anything that the Bible says about Jesus is not true. Most of us would be in agreement with all of that. What's the difference between those people who are part of this crowd and the people who are truly the disciples? Well, Jesus says in verse 31. If we look at verse 31, what does he say? If you abide in my word. 
you are truly my disciples. Jesus says to this crowd who knows him and agrees with him that for you to truly be my disciple, you will abide in my word. So that word abide is critically important. It means to remain or to continue. This is Jesus' qualifying characteristic of those who have true saving faith and those who don't. The word, the key word in his description is that word abide. To continue or to remain. Here's a point that you can write in your notes. The reality of saving faith isn't found in its expression, but in its endurance. Now, I'm going to say this, and, and, and th- this picture is all throughout the Gospels of people who were interested in Jesus, and they followed Jesus for a little while, and then ultimately they went away. This happens throughout all of the Gospels, over and over. The same Jews that Jesus is talking to in John chapter 8 are some of the same ones that are going to be calling for his crucifixion. The ones who are in agreement with him. The ones who are following after him. The ones who are listening to him and going, go Jesus. They're going to be calling for his death soon. And here's what I mean by this statement. And this, this may be difficult, and I want you to understand and know my heart, church. But I believe this is true according to everything that the Scriptures tell us. We cannot base the assurance of our salvation on a single expression of belief in Jesus. And you say, what does that mean? The question sometimes that we ask when we talk about, am I truly saved, am I... Am I truly a disciple of Jesus? Sometimes we will ask the question, have you ever believed? Is there a moment? Is there a time that you can go back to? Was there a moment where you believed? And if the answer to that question is yes, then we believe we're good. I think that's the wrong question. I think if we are trying to discern in our own hearts... Am I truly in Christ? Am I, am I really saved? The question we should be asking is, am I still believing what I once believed? Not, was there one time that you believed it, but do you still believe it? Are you still believing it? Or did it go away? We know the parable that Jesus told about the soils, right? And what did he say? That the the gospel is the seed. And that some hearts are like rocky ground. And that the seed falls and immediately it sprouts up. But because there's no depth of soil, what happens to it? It dies. It goes away. The heart that's represented by the rocky soil isn't in Jesus doesn't have a relationship with God. Here is a crowd of people believing in Jesus, 
cheering on Jesus, agreeing with everything Jesus says. And Jesus says to them, you will truly show yourselves to be my disciples when you abide in my word, when you remain in it, when you continue to walk in it. Not just because of what you say right here. Now, I'm not saying that that defining moment is not vitally important. It is. But Jesus says the true disciples are the ones who carry on from that initial expression and confession of faith and they continue to abide in that same faith over and over and over. To abide in my word. What is his word? What is the word of Jesus? It's, it's, it's the scriptures. There, and, and let's keep going. Verse 33. Look at verse 33 in John chapter 8. So Jesus says this to this crowd. They are, they are fired up and they're following him and they're cheering him on. They say, we believe you, Jesus. And he says, the ones of you that are truly my disciples are the ones who abide in my word. This is their response. Verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. And have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Here's what reveals their heart. Their response to what Jesus says here. The crowd here is is making the same mistake that many people still make today. They are basing their own relationship with God on their identity as descendants of Abraham. Jesus says, if you're free, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And their response is, what do you mean to say we will be free later on? We're already free, Jesus. And, and we might read that and go, do they not know their own history? Because it says we've never been enslaved by anyone. Oh my goodness, the Jews were enslaved by so many different people. They were enslaved by the Egyptians, by the Babylonians, by the Medo-Persians, by the Greeks, by the Syrians. And at this time, they're living under the oppression of Rome. So politically, there are people that have been enslaved and, and ruled by other nations over and over and over. So obviously, that's not what they're talking about. They're not talking about their political freedom or their civil freedom. But they're saying to Jesus, because we are the sons and daughters of Abraham, then we're already free. How many people sit in churches week after week and associate their own relationship with God with their parents' relationship with God? Or their grandparents' relationship with God? Or... The fact that they're saved because they're Americans. Let me give you a statistic. In 1972, if you were, when the question was asked, what, what religious affiliation do you identify with? In 1972, 90% of the American population said they were Christian. 90%. 5% of the population said that they had no religious affiliation. That is what we've come to, to um, call the nuns. 5% said, I have no religious affiliation. 90% were Christians. In 2022, that 90% is now 
63% of Americans say that they are Christians, while 29% say they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. The 5% went to 29%, and the 90% went to 63%. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think in 1972, all 90% of those Americans who said they were Christians were true followers of Jesus? Nope. So you know what that tells me in 2022? That if there's 63% of Americans who will say that they are Christians, that the, the actual number of true followers of Jesus is way less than that. How many of that 63% today, if we were to ask all Americans, what are you as far as a religious faith, they would say Christians, how many of them are like this crowd? They hear, they know about Jesus, they grew up in church, they don't see anything wrong with Jesus, they're actually, they like Jesus a lot. And they go to church every week. But folks, you are not a true believer in Christ because you come to church every week. You're also not a true believer in Jesus because you grew up in a Christian home. Not because your mom and dad were believers. Not because your grandparents were believers. Not because your granddaddy was a preacher. None of those things. You are also not a Christian because you're an American. We talk about America being a Christian nation. Folks, that is, that is going away. And the numbers show it. The days when we could, when we could say we're Americans because we're Americans, we're, we're Christians, that's never been true. It's even, it's even more so not true. Now, you are a true believer because of Jesus and Jesus alone, because of your encounter with the, the Son of God and your, your faith in the gospel. Your personal response to Jesus. Not because of anybody else. And that's what this crowd is saying. We've never been enslaved to anyone spiritually because we're sons and daughters of Abraham. We're good. We are free. And Jesus says to him, you're not free. You're slaves. Look at what he says in verse 34. This is his response to them in verse 33. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Their response to Jesus was basically this. Why do you say that we will be free? We're already spiritually free because of Abraham. And Jesus says to them, no, you only think you're free because you, you actually are still a slave to sin and your disobedient hearts reveal that. What did Jesus say? You will truly be my disciple when you abide in my word. His word is his command. His teachings. 
And this is something that we have to understand too. Here's another point you can write down. There is no division between truly accepting Jesus as Savior and willingly obeying him as Lord. And I don't know what, I don't know what you might have been told all your life, but this, this is what I believe is true from the Scriptures. There is no such thing as a person who, who is saved and believes in Jesus and a person who doesn't follow Jesus. Jesus says it just doesn't, it doesn't exist. You are truly my disciple when you abide in my word. And his word is his command. Now, does this mean that salvation demands we be perfect? Don't misunderstand. Because you could read that and say, oh man, well that means I can't really be a Christian unless I'm perfectly obeying everything that he says. None of us are doing that. So that is not what that means. Jesus does not demand sinless perfection. But the heart that surrenders to Jesus lives an enduring pursuit of obedience. The heart that belongs to Jesus continually pursues obedience, even when we fall, even when we mess up, even when we fail. Our hearts cry, is God, I want to obey you. I want to, I want to follow you. And that's my desire. And when I get in the flesh and I lose that battle against the spirit and the flesh that's going on in me, and I let the flesh win, and I realize that I've done that, my heart's response, because it desires obedience, is repentance and confession. And I come to him and say, Jesus, I want to obey you, and I've not obeyed you, and I need you to forgive me, and I want to repent. I want to take that disobedience, and I, I, and I want to purge it from my life, and I want, to be, I want to be pure, and I want to be like you, and I want to follow you, and I want to obey everything that you say. That's the heart of a person who is truly in Christ, not a person who says, well, I believe Jesus, I'm, I've learned enough, and I've prayed enough and I've said the right things and I've walked the aisle and I've been baptized I've gotten my ticket to go to heaven so I'm good I can do whatever I want to do and not feel bad about it that's not Christianity that's what these Jews thought they could do I'm in because of Abraham I'm good we're free we don't have to worry about anything. And Jesus says, you are living and breathing as slaves. You are enslaved to your own sin. Because you've not been freed by the truth. And the truth is Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. John writes in this epistle. He's written the gospel, but now he's writing in his epistle Listen to what he says. These are strong words in chapter 2. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a what? Wow. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. So listen, that, 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 that phrase should really stick out. Because John is saying, 
By this, we know that we are really in him. He's like, I'm about to tell you how you can know you are really saved. Verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Meaning Jesus. He says, you want to know if you're truly saved? Are you walking with Jesus now? Not did you pray a prayer 20 years ago. Which you may have done. And you may have really meant that. But I haven't found anywhere in the New Testament that ascribes saving faith to just a prayer. It's characteristic to a life change. And an abiding and walking with Jesus on a daily basis. And so that statement I said earlier, I believe is meant to be a warning from God's word. If the only, if somebody asks you if you believe in Jesus or if you're a Christian and you say yes, and somebody says, how do you know? If the only thing you can say is, well, 30 years ago, I was in a church service and I, and I, and I felt something and I prayed a prayer and I got baptized. But you have no testimony or story of how Jesus is active in your life right now. And how you're not walking with him. And that there's not evidence of that walking with Jesus. Or desire to want to obey his word. Then there's something wrong. There's something missing. According to Jesus' own words in John chapter 8. Jesus says the one who practices sin is still a slave to sin. Which means there's no freedom. That's the difference. When Jesus says those who practice sin, he's not saying if you, if you have a sin, if you ever sin, then you're not saved. No, because I've already messed up today. So if I've lost my salvation just because I've disobeyed, then I'm in big trouble. And you are too. But he says the one who practices sin, you know, the people who, who practice sin, the ones who continually walk in it the same way that a true believer abides in the word of Jesus and abides in his word and and desires obedience this is the opposite the 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 lost are the ones who abide in sin who practice it who can do it continually over and over and feel no conviction and and don't seek repentance at all And they're trusting in this one moment, this one prayer that somebody prayed with them 30 years ago. I can do and live my life however I want to. I don't have to follow Jesus. I can count on that. This one thing is going to get me there. That's what the Jews were saying. Abraham's my ticket. And Jesus goes, no, you don't have a ticket. There's no freedom for those who are enslaved to their sin. Because a mark of a believer who has truly been saved by the Lord Jesus is a person who hates their sin. That's a question you can ask yourself. How do you feel? What is your relationship with your own sin? I'm not talking about the sin of other people. I'm talking about yours and mine. How do I feel about my own sin? If I'm truly in Christ, I mourn over my sin. I hate my own sin. And I seek to purge it from my life and remove it. 
And the only way I can do that is through the power of Jesus in me. I can't, I can't purge sin out of my life on my own. And there's so many people week after week who are coming to church trying to be good people, trying to get sin out of their life because they think they have to do that before they come to Jesus because they've gotten all of this mixed up. Jesus isn't saying, if you do all these things, then you'll be saved. He says, you will, the evidence that you are saved is the fact that this is what your life looks like. And if your life doesn't, your, your life doesn't look like that, you're probably not in me. They hate their sin. True believers will hate their sin and they will love their Savior. They will desire to know Jesus and desire to draw close to him and desire to submit their lives to his authority. So he ends by saying in verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Here was a group of people who said, We are free. And Jesus says, no, you think you're free. But you're not free until I have set you free. So the question I want to pose to you this morning, this Independence Day weekend, is are you free indeed? You can raise your flag this weekend. You can shoot your fireworks you can celebrate your freedom as an American, and you absolutely should. Nothing wrong with that at all. You should absolutely celebrate the fact that we live in America because America is a blessing from the Lord. But you can celebrate your freedom in America all weekend and be a slave to your own sin. You can celebrate freedom and be living in slavery. And be living in bondage spiritually. And you say, well, Eric, how do I know if I'm really free? If the son is said, yeah, how do I know if I'm free indeed? Well, verse 36 says it. Has Jesus set you free? Because Jesus is the only one who makes free indeed. Nobody else. Don't trust anybody else for your freedom. The government will not make you free indeed. Politicians cannot make you free indeed. Jesus is the only one that does that. If Jesus has set you free, then you really are free indeed. There is no other answer to that question. So the path to true spiritual freedom is hearing the truth accepting and agreeing with the truth, and you say, well, I'm, I feel like I'm there. That's good. Because those, those are the beginning steps to saving faith. That's where this crowd was. But they were stopping there, and they were trusting in that. And Jesus says, that's not enough. Abiding and remaining in the truth then results in us growing in our knowledge of the truth and that results in being set free by the truth. And here's the last thing I want you to remember. The truth is not an idea, a principle, or a philosophy. The truth is the person of Jesus Christ. Please know this, church. Jesus is the only truth. Period. That's it. 
And Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's not a religious philosophy. The truth that will set you free is not a political party. It's not a lifestyle. It's not a, it's not a movement. It's not any of those things. The only thing that can set you free is Jesus Christ. So we should celebrate our American freedom and we should be grateful for it. But please, please, do not celebrate your freedom as an American at the expense of true spiritual freedom in a relationship with Jesus. Because every flag that waves on this nation, every flag that waves on any nation in this world will eventually go away. And every Thing will come under the rule of one king and one kingdom. And if you are not following that king and you are not a part of his kingdom, then you'll have no hope. So I want us to pray this morning.